Hello and welcome to episode 43 of Lyme Ninja Radio, where we bring you killer strategies to defeat Lyme disease. <laughs> With me in the studio is our producer, Aurora. Hello. And today's guest is Dan Wolf, and he's the president and founder and inventor, entrepreneur of Tickies, and it's a specially designed tweezer to remove ticks. And what I was really surprised and love about this interview is we kind of start off talking about deer and how he got involved with deer hunting and then how he noticed the amount of ticks that he would get on himself and that were infesting the deer were just increasing like crazy. His observation is over the past 20 years, the number of ticks have just grown like crazy for whatever reason. We don't, maybe it's global warming, maybe it's just infestation, maybe it's a lack of predators out there. You know, I was reading an article where possums are a great predator for ticks. Yeah. So maybe we have a deficiency of possums out there or something <laughs> like that. You just, you just don't know with the, the nature's web is so complicated, you can take out a seemingly uh, innocuous part of it and the whole thing can fall apart. Like a house of cards. Like a house of cards. Okay, we got to go on a, a tangent here. There's a great story out of one of the islands off of Australia, and they were having a problem there. There's a shipwreck uh, hundreds of years ago, and the shipwreck brought cats onto the island, and the cats were eating the native bird eggs. So the the naturalists there decided that they needed to do a cat eradication program there to save the birds. So they come on the island, they get rid of all the cats, they trap them and take them uh, to different to the mainland, I think it was, and found them new homes. And in the next six to 12 months, the bird population absolutely crashed. And they got into a panic and they started exploring even more. And what happened was not only did the shipwreck bring cats, but it brought rats. So with exactly so without the cats on the island, the rat population absolutely exploded and they were eating all the birds eggs and going after the birds themselves. And so they had to bring the cats back to the island to help control the rat population. So nature's web is very interconnected. And sometimes when we think we're doing a smart thing by removing a certain part of it, it might not be so smart. Yeah. Anyway, it's very complicated. That's why it's so interesting to look at. That's why, you know. Yes. Yeah. So just, we, we don't know why tick population is, is increasing like crazy, but the people who've been out there in the woods for 20, 30, 40 years, they all say the same thing. There are more ticks than there ever were, and they're infesting the deer more than they ever have. So enough of my storytelling. Let's hear what Dan Wolf has to say. Aurora, will you introduce us to Dan? Yes. Dan Wolf is the president and founder of TickEase Incorporated, a products manufacturing company whose mission is to provide safe and effective tools for removing and repelling ticks, facilitating tick testing, and educating the public for the prevention of tick-borne diseases like Lyme disease. Tickies is a proud preferred prevention partner of the University of Rhode Island's Tick Encounter Resource Center. Uh, Dan 
also founded Mass Deer Service, a suburban deer management program working closely with residents in the Metro West area of Boston to control deer populations and help reduce the risk of exposure to tick-borne diseases. A dynamic speaker, Dan likes to spend his time talking to groups about ticks, their behavior, and life cycles, and how they relate to the environment. He received his Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Administration from Skidmore College and lives in Waltham, Massachusetts with his two sons and two dogs. Thanks, Aurora, and here's Dan Wolf. Dan, this is McKay Rippey with Lime Ninja Radio. Hi, McKay. How are you? Terrific. I'm glad you called. I was expecting you. Why don't you do me a favor? Just let me know what the you know what kind of the goals are, and and I'll do my best to to accommodate the uh, the kind of the the mission of the show. I'm really just interested in you as a human being and kind of what got you interested in this endeavor and the specifics about it. And we'll talk a little bit about the specifics of ticks and what's the best way to remove them and what you don't want to do. And we'll talk about your product. We'll shamelessly plug it, as the car guys say. Do a shameless commerce division. You know, let people know that this thing's for sale and put on the website. Um, But that's, you know, it's, I think... You know, this is this will be like somewhere in the f- when we release this like f- number show number forty three forty five something like that and really what what this show's turning into is is really just introducing people to the Lyme community outside their local community okay you know it's just kind of reaching out and saying you know what there are people all over the world who understand this thing you're not by yourself. It's a serious problem. Mm-hmm. You know, here's some tips and, and techniques to to deal with the disease, with the ticks, with keeping deer out of your yard, so forth and so on. Okay. And where are you located? I'm in central New York. I'm uh, about uh, an hour east of Syracuse. An hour east. So you are in the Rome, Utica area? That's exactly right. Good for you. How do you know Rome, Utica? Well, uh, my ex-wife grew up in Manlius, uh, near Syracuse. I lived in Elmira Horseheads, spent some time in the Ithaca area, and uh, traveled around there for work. And then I also went to school and lived in Saratoga for a while. Oh, you were, were you at Skidmore? I was. Ah, how about that? Good for you. Great school. Awesome. awesome. We're, oh, we're, we're in... Uh, Outside of Clinton, New York, at Hamilton College, oh, in a in a sleepy little hamlet called Deansboro. Okay, perfect. I remember um, when I first started deer hunting out in Elmira back in yeah. the early nineties. Never saw a tick on a deer, never. And now, really, when I go back, they're just loaded with them, just covered with them. So, in twenty years, we've seen quite a change. Uh, of, of the spread of, you know, deer ticks in particular. So what do you think has caused that? I just think that the, the, the convergences of spreading deer populations, um, you know, just the humans creating better environments for the deer to live, which is basically the suburbs and yeah. the ability for these deer to kind of uh, migrate and immigrate into different uh, territories as they're, you know, as the densities increase in, in one area, the, the deer tend to start to spread. So uh, they look for greener pastures, so to speak. And uh, that's just kind of converged. Plus, you know, with more deer, there's more ticks. 
more animals being affected, like birds, which can travel greater distances, dropping ticks along the way, and, and so forth. I just pulled a deer tick off my dog's head, and he never leaves, like, our yard. And uh, Waltham, Massachusetts, is not really known for a lot of uh, ticks, but uh, they are here now. What kind of dog do you have? I ha- I'll pl- I'm going to post the video. I videoed it uh, using the tickies, uh, and I'll put that on Facebook later uh, after we're done. So you can see it, but he's a golden retriever. A golden retriever. Yeah. Yeah, so that's it's scary. I mean, they're on the pets like crazy. That's one thing we have around here. Um, there's still denial on the physician side of thing that Lyme disease exists around here, and mm-hmm. it absolutely does. But you oh, talk yeah. to the vets, and the vets are, oh yeah, you know, we're seeing twenty cases a week of Lyme disease on the dogs, right? And right. Uh, it's it's just insane that the 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 medicine doctors, the medical doctors, can't make the connection that they're well, still got their heads in the sand. <laughs> they uh, will probably be forced to at some point when you know when it, no pun intended, comes up and bites them on the, you know what, the tuchus. Yeah, exactly. Just to give you a little background, I ran a suburban deer management group, basically connecting experienced bow hunters, qualifying them and insuring them, and then bringing them together to private property owners who were able, you know, with space or, you know, proximity to to their neighbors, um, legally able to allow bow hunting on their properties. And uh, for that, the hunters actually paid me a seasonal fee. And... um, you know, we're talking about distances 15 miles west of Boston, you know, right in the suburbs here. Right. So, um, you know, uh, so I know a lot. That's how I got involved in all this. And I could probably go into that when you ask me, how did you get involved in all this? So well, let's, so let's, uh, so how did, let's, let's start there. So I'm very curious. So were you doing this just for sport at the time or were the landowners hiring you for calling the herd? Well, there's a recreation use clause in the state uh, mass wildlife rules that uh, if they, if the landowners paid me, it, it it they became liable should an injury occur on their property. Mm. If there was do- if it was done for recreational purposes, they were released of liability. So what I did was I developed a contract that allowed the hunters to pay me, not the landowners. So it was a business. I was incorporated. Um, I had a website and, you know, a truck and all that stuff. But uh, I got paid from the hunters, not the landowners. And um, it was but were more the land, were the landowners Were the landowners happy to see you? Oh, gosh, yes. They, <laughs> uh, well, okay. I mean, initially, when I started like 20 years ago, they were very... Uh, upset at the deer for eating everything and having to yeah. replenish expensive uh, landscapes. Right. As time went on, it flip-flopped, and the bigger concern became tick-borne illness, Lyme right. disease, and right. uh, and secondary was um, destruction of habitat uh, of landscape. And thirdly, uh, was they were starting to get hit like on a weekly basis in these small towns outside of Boston, and so then. In automobiles, by cars, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. Lastly, it's a big problem up here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. Um, lastly, uh, the um, the destruction of the ecosystems, particularly our woodlands, became mm-hmm. more um, 
sort of forefront by some of the conservation commissions in these local towns. So there was like four now now four big problems with the with the deer, and uh, it didn't matter to me what order these problems were in. Um, mm-hmm. What mattered was can I get access to the property legally and legitimately to bow hunt the deer and, and hunt, um, yeah. provide that that connection to local bow hunters. Right. And and also, I'm sure the landowners felt safer that was a bow and not a gun. Absolutely. There's, you know, in certain areas, it certainly would not have been uh, acceptable by any means to uh, to discharge a firearm, you know, in these, these smaller neighborhoods. Right. Um, so, yes, they, they did feel safe, safer. <laughs> but they also felt safe that I was an insured professional with experience who held my um, participants t- to a strict code of ethics, uh, waiver of liability, and a, um, a non-compete, non-disclosure. So oh, it was, it was yeah, very st- structured very well. And as a matter of fact, the qualification or vetting process that I modeled uh, became used by a lot of these uh, local towns and municipalities that were implementing managed bow hunting programs on town forest and conservation land, yeah. which uh, which is a hard sell in some of our very liberal, uh, affluent neighborhoods. Right. So they, I, I got a 10-point buck over the weekend, but I can't tell you where I got it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what one of your bow hunters would have to say. Oh, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah, no, my, my wife wants to learn bow hunting. She's been talking, she's got, she's got, my my wife is adventurous, right? So she's got all these projects up her sleeve that she's never gotten around to, right? So mm-hmm. beekeeping is one, bow hunting is another. Um, she wants to dig out a pond on our property and row a boat across it. I mean, she's just got all these massive projects. <laughs> it's funny how bow hunting just keeps cropping up. Well, here's an easy solution for that. I got my girlfriend a crossbow. Uh, oh, really? A couple years ago. And I believe in New York State, crossbows are legal for anybody at this point. So you don't huh. have to have, uh, Massachusetts still requires a disability, and she has some issues. As a matter of fact, I have some back issues, so I use a crossbow myself. Uh, but in states like Connecticut, Rhode Island, I know for sure, uh, have opened up to anybody is able to use a crossbow. So that is because bow hunting is such a very, uh, it's a hard, challenging sport yeah. to uh, to master, and most people take years before they're able to, to harvest their first deer with a regular compound bow, and it takes a tremendous amount of you know uh, um, time to practice and and you know get used Be able to, to your shoot own straight, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> um, and a bow is a very custom, personal item that you really need the right people to, to equip you with. And uh, mm-hmm. you need something that fits you like a glove. With the crossbow, you know, you got to learn your equipment to be safe, of course. But it's um, it's very deadly uh, as far as the, the harvesting goes. And it's, it's much more um, uh, user-friendly. Um, so I would recommend looking into that. All right. I'll leave a little note for her and say, have you thought about crossbow hunting? <laughs> right. And if you need any tips or advice, just uh, you know where to find me. I'll send her your way. <laughs> well, we've got, I've got uh, about close to 50 tree stands in a variety of different areas 
uh, available to use uh, at this point and um, phasing out the, the whole mass deer service group and just going to maintain uh, a bunch of very good properties for myself and a tight-knit group. So we'll have spots if she wants to come in and uh, and you as well if you want to visit and have us have a sit for an afternoon have, have a go yeah right sit some morning sure in, sure in the fall we um our our neighbors um we're on 30 acres and our neighbors have a tree stand on kind of the field beyond us so it's about uh 200 yards beyond the edge of our property mm-hmm. and uh our, our neighbors are mennonites and they get a bunch of nuisance tags oh wow and, uh, so they're they're they fill their freezer Every year, you can, we can hear them. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, I so. remember being in Caton, New York, going to a butcher, a um, Mennonite butcher, and the three young ladies that were the children of the husband and wife who owned the butcher, or the butcher shop and the smoke shop, uh, had just been hunting, and they came in with their camouflage skirts and bonnets. <laughs> and uh, I, I would pay to see that. <laughs> These were some tough women, I tell you. She, we took yeah. a deer up there, and it was a you know a hundred pound doe. And I swear, this this one young lady picked that thing Carried up with out. one hand out of the truck and yeah. and brought it into the smokehouse. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's amazing what a life of a manual labor will do, right? They don't oh, need yeah. to go to the gym, right? Right. No, she was a, she was a tough old bird, that's for sure. How about that? That's a great story. I want yeah. to pass that one on. Okay. So, so how does so how so you're you're a hunter, right? So correct. how do you get from hunting to an entre? Well, you look at a little entrepreneur spirit there, you know, with your business, obviously. But how do you get from that to you know what the world needs a better tick remover? Well, they say necessity is the mother of invention, and I can concur with that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the uh, the explosion in deer population has also provided ticks with an environment to thrive. And over the years, spending time doing my scouting and looking around uh, in the deer management uh, end of things, I was just starting to get covered with ticks. And as the years progressed, maybe till about, it really started getting bad in our area. I mean, really bad about 10 years ago. And from then on, it's been getting worse and worse. So for me to come home with, um, after a day in the woods of, you know, two to four embedded ticks in me was not unusual. And I did really? conducted, yes, I conducted daily tick checks. I, I live with my two boys and my two dogs. So it's, you know, we want to make sure that everybody stays safe. Right. So I would come home and have these ticks embedded in me. And I figured it out that on average, I would pick up maybe 10 ticks a year that would embed in my in my body. And over okay. the past 20 years, I figured that's probably close to 200 embedded ticks in my life that yeah, I've had. Sure. And fortunately, uh, I have never contracted a tick-borne illness. And I'm knocking wood as we speak because that I don't you, know. If, that you know of. That I know of. Um, and I was vaccinated in in the mid nineties. I don't know if that had any effect on it for Lyme vaccinated. Oh, for Lyme. You got, you were one of the few people who got Lyme vaccine, huh? That's correct. And did you um, have any adverse reaction to it? Well, I did as a matter of fact, they were all short term. 
Um, my father was a medical professional in uh, infectious disease. Uh, he passed away in the mid-90s. No but prior to his passing, he spent time as the clinical director for the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, and I was born in uh, the Washington, D.C. area. Um, You're kidding. Where? That's where I was born. Oh, I was born at the Bethesda Naval Hospital. <laughs> and where did you grow up? I grew up in Rockville. In Rockville. I was born in Adams Morgan. Okay. Well, I was I was born at DC Hospital, but I grew up in Adams Morgan on uh, a little apartment on Columbia Road and then on Calvert Street, right by the zoo. Right. Okay. I, I don't recall too much of the area. I left when I was thirteen. I'm now fifty one. Mm. So hey, uh, so that's same thing. So where did you move next? Because well, we moved out when I was about thirteen, fourteen. My father yeah. left the government and be, uh, became chairman of medicine at. Uh, doing the medical center here in Boston. Oh, very cool. And, uh, and while he was at uh, New England Medical, he had the opportunity to hire and, and, and work with some people who were um, dealing with and studying uh, the new phenomenon that was Lyme disease. So uh, one okay. of the people that he worked with in infectious disease knew of my hunting activity and my uh -huh. gear management programs, and insisted that I get this new Lyme vaccine. So to answer no your kidding. question, yes, I did feel some side effects, but they were very short-lived. Uh, it was a, I believe it was three shots once a month for three months. And every wow. every time I had the shot, I had some local discomfort and some fluish type uh, symptoms for about twenty-four hours. For about twenty-four uh, hours, okay. After that, I, I don't recall having any uh, additional uh, negative feelings uh, about the, the vaccine. But uh, who knows how that affected me in the long run. Um, all I can tell you is that um, when I do get a tick bite, uh, I seem to notice it. It swells, it itches, it burns sometimes. And um, I tend to discover the tick no matter what size it is even larval okay. and mental stage ticks. So, so you have a strong reaction to it. Right. And one of the researchers I work with, who's uh, very well known in the tick realm, uh, Dr. Tom Mather from the University of Rhode Island's uh, Vector-Borne Disease Division on the Tick and Counter Resource Center, um, has studied uh, or has looked into people like myself. There's a very small percentage of people like myself who get covered in ticks, bitten all the time, and never seem to show symptoms or, or have the bacteria survive in their system. It's right. like a deer. Right. A deer, its body is not a suitable environment for that bacteria to survive. So when the, upon entry, some, some point between the ticks spitting saliva with Borrelia bacteria in it, into the system of the deer, that bacteria doesn't survive. That's why mm -hmm. deer don't get sick. Cats mm -hmm. don't exhibit symptoms. There's a lot of different animals that just don't get bothered by it. But then, of course, on the other hand, dogs can get Lyme, people can get very sick, and other yep. animals can, can suffer from it. Horses, I believe, can get it. So it's, it's an unusual, uh, to say the least, an unusual um, bacteria. But I think our concern as a, as a region or as a whole should be more uh, general in 
fear of tick-borne illnesses, period, because the co-infections, which are just typically what can infect you from a, a, a tick, a vector like the deer tick, and when I speak with you, I'm going to refer to it. When I say tick, I'm referring to the deer tick because that is the by far the most nasty cesspool of a dirty hypodermic needle out there. Okay. So, you know, one bite from one deer tick in our area in the Northeast could potentially infect its host with a virus, a bacteria, and a parasite. Sure. So one bite can really change your life. And um, back to what I was saying about a small percentage of people like myself who appear to get bitten lots and not to really get sick, um, there is also a majority of the people that get bitten by deer ticks, let's say, and I'll refer to the Lyme bacteria as my example here. A, a good majority of the people that get bitten by infected ticks can get Lyme disease, get treated buy antibiotics and be fine. And then, of course, they can get the bacterial infection again, but they typically seem to respond to medications and do just fine. Now, on the other side, there is a small percentage of people who experience uh, traumatic and catastrophic effects from this bacteria. So it's not like everybody's going to get it and there's a new virus out that people are very concerned with or a new tick-borne virus called Powassan, my understanding is that a majority of the people can get exposed to that virus and have no idea that they've even been exposed or show any symptoms whatsoever. Again, Mm -hmm. it's a certain small percentage that can have this terrible reaction and really suffer greatly from from this type of infection. So, you know, the only thing I think we know for sure is that, or know consistently, is that this disease is inconsistent. And depending on your physiological makeup, you are affected differently in each individual. Um, Babesia is another uh, infection that you can get from deer ticks, which uh, also has a a variety of different effects on different people. Um, Right. It's showing up more and more here in in Massachusetts uh, based upon um, the results and the data collected by another one of uh, partners of mine uh, at UMass, uh, Dr. Stephen Rich, who runs the Laboratory of Medical Zoology. And they conduct a huge number of uh, tick tests per year and are looking at state grants and getting contracts with communities who then can send ticks in for free and they test them for a whole host of different pathogens and then map that data so that we can have, have an idea of where these different pathogens are trending geographically. So it's an right. important... So let's, let's pause here for a second. Is this only for Massachusetts residents to send these ticks in, or can anybody send them in? Anybody can send those in. And actually, in the tick ease package, UMass provides me with a card that has not only frequently asked questions about tick testing, but how to go about facilitating those tests with UMass. So you can send your tick in from anywhere if you'd like for testing. I was referring to some state contracts that they had received uh, within the past couple of years. Uh, There were surveillance contracts uh, provided by, I believe, the Department of Public Health in several communities uh, in Massachusetts. But yes, you can send and them in from anywhere. 
Do they have a website? They do. That website is kickreport.com. Okay, great. And uh, so, it's part of the UMass Laboratory of Medical Zoology. So if you right, so go ahead and get yourself tickies, get the tick off your dog, off yourself, get a kit from Tick Report and send it in, right? That's correct. Now there is a fee involved for that, and you know I I just want to make it clear that um, those fees are paid directly by the the sender, unless of course they're under some sort of grant or contract like the uh, the state provided last year, and it was a limited number of tests. So for 32 communities in Massachusetts, each community was allowed 100 tests from individuals within those towns. So um, I, I'm not sure what the cost is right now. Uh, well, let's but see if I can look it up. Yeah, that information yeah. is listed. I think it might be. I think the required minimum test is the Lyme or Borrelia burgdorferi test. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, because now there are two types of Borrelia that we are finding here in, in Massachusetts, and it's two different types of tests. Also, maybe I should say our region rather than just Massachusetts. Uh, there's an Ita- um, a, a Japanese version of Borrelia called right. Miyamotoi, which yep. has now been discovered by uh, uh, a friend, uh, Sam Telford, over in, at Tufts Veterinary School. And so how many how many versions of the Borrelia do you think are out there? Uh, my understanding is that quite a lot of variations of Borrelia. Uh, the ones in our region that we are really concerned with are primarily what's called Borrelia burgdorferi, which is right. the standard version. And then uh, recently there's been some concern over uh, Borrelia miyamotoi, which the Japanese um, version. I believe it originated in Japanese, hence the Miyamotoi. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, one can look up um, Sam Telford, T-E-L-F, as in Frank, O-R-D, at Tufts Veterinary School. And uh, if you Google Sam Telford, you can find out um, some of his research on the Miyamotoi. But my understanding is the main difference is, well, first of all, it's two different types of tests. Uh, it may be treated similarly, but uh, again, this is my understanding, is that in Borrelia burgdorferi, the larvae hatch uninfected. With Miyamotoi, I believe the mother, if she has the Lyme bacteria or, or the Borrelia, it can pass on into the egg. So larval ticks, if they bite people, forget about it. 99.9% of the people are never going to even know that that larval tick has been on them, fed, and dropped off. Right. So with infected larva now, that opens up a huge door for more um, cases. More infections, uh, right? Uh, infection, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's not good. No, it's, <laughs> that's Translated, not good. Yeah, not good at all. So what is it... Again, so why did you come up with your your gadget, your tick removal? Right. So what you know, I remember. You know, I had would not, not I never I, that I know of had deer ticks when I grew up down, and we were in the woods in Virginia mostly. But you know, you get mm-hmm. the the larger ticks, and you'd burn them off, and mm-hmm. you know, I'd scream and run around the house as a ten year old. But you know, it wasn't much of a big deal. So what's you know what's what's wrong with that? Why? Why? Well, how should you right, take a I, tick off? 
I, I kind of got off track a little bit to, to answer your question before. So I'm getting covered with ticks. I'm getting bites all the time. I'm coming home. I'm finding ticks around the house. Uh, I pulled my sheets back one night, and there was a tick in my bed, and that kind of creeps me out big time. Yeah, so nice. I'm I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, now Lyme disease is starting to get um, more prevalent around here. What's the best way? And I'm thinking to myself, what's the best way to remove a tick? So I go online, tick removal, this and that, and I'm looking at uh, all these expert organizations and institutions and Lyme groups and tick groups and all this stuff. The consistent message was fine tipped tweezers, pointy tweezers, use a thin tip right. tweezer. And that's what I hear throughout all the websites I saw and all the experts I talked to and all the things I read, fine tip tweezers. So I would go, okay, now I'm going to go out and go to the, go to the camping stores and I'm going to look online and I'm going to see, okay, I need a tick removal tool that has a fine tip tweezer. Guess what? I didn't find anything. <laughs> I found plastic spoons. I found right. flattened, pear-shaped aluminum things that you put on your key ring. Um, yep. I found this green plastic thing that said, twist the tick out. Now, my experience in doing my research, not only did they say, fine tick tweezer, they also said, never twist or jerk the tick out. So I'm scratching my head going, well, what do I do here? So that was many years ago, and I decided, okay, well, you know what? Somebody should invent a better tick removal tool. They should, it should be uh, stainless steel, like a medical device, so you can heat sterilize it if you want, so a doctor can use it. It should have the pointy tweezer, and it should utilize. There's, there's a lot of merit to that slotted scoop method. And... Uh-huh. The idea was born. I thought, okay, well, that person's going to be mean. I'm going to invent a better tick tool. It's going to have two sides, so it's a two-for-one. And then, not only that, but what I really want to do is help educate people. The majority of, of cases of Lyme disease occur in children between the ages of five and nine. So, you know, kids can be affected differently. Um, a lot of uh, paralysis can occur in children, uh, Bell's palsy. And um, like what happened in Lyme, Connecticut, children were starting to exhibit signs of rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. So um, uh, I made that decision. I was going to be the one. So, of course, several years go by, and like a lot of other ideas that I've had, nothing ever happened. And then I (laughs) thought to myself, I think I was approaching 50, you know, midlife. And I said, you know what, now's the time for me to do this. I want to help educate people. I want to develop a product and take a run at this. So, so how'd started, you build the first one? Well, Did- this is a story you might hear on Shark Tank, but I started looking around at tweezers and I started purchasing ones with the fine tips. And I found this tweezer that was designed for women to use, or, or men, I guess, uh, to put little tiny gemstones in their fingernail polish and design their fingernails. <laughs> And it had an angle to it. And I said, that's it. That's going to allow me, unlike some of the other tools that are out there, to get into these places. Because I remember having two nymphal stage, at different times, two nymphal stage gear tips in my belly button. Right. Engorged. Right. And yes. I'm like, how you, okay. How do you get those? How do you get those? 
So yeah. I'm like, at this angle and this pointy tip, I can get those. And um, so then I, I was, you know, I'm in my basement. I'm breaking apart tweezers. I'm just gluing them back together, and I'm making aluminum foil models, and I'm showing them to my designer friends. And, you know, a lot of that went on for a long time, and um, we finally came up with a design. At that point, I had some, I hired a designer, you know, uh, part-time um, for very short money because that's all I had. And I started using my credit cards. And, you know, it's the typical Shark Tank story. I borrowed from family and friends, and um, I started the process. Well, lo and behold, two years later, we're, we're, the product is patented. Um, we're registered. Uh, we have an excellent packaging and presentation, and we're now selling in over 250 local stores. We have reps. We're selling quite a few pieces a month on Amazon, and we're looking to break into larger retail um, big box stores. So I'm, I'm in my basement. I have a friend who has a body shop, and I bring my pieces of metal, and I have them spot weld them and grind them, and finally we, we had this prototype. And then the process of sourcing <laughs> began, and that's quite a quite an experience from somebody who had no experience to being up late at night, Skyping China and India and other locations to try to get right. these prototypes and samples made. It was it was uh, quite an interesting uh, go around with that, but we were able to do it. Um, slowly but surely, and now um, Tiki's was, was born, and um, you know I'm very pleased with the whole process so far. So here's here's a Shark Tank question question for you: What's the greatest number of these un- package units that you had in your garage at one time? <laughs> oh gosh, I had five thousand pieces laid out on my dining room table. Yeah, I had the plastic clamshell packages and the insert cards and I was spending hours and hours folding the cards, putting them in and, and clamping them shut and then getting them ready for, um, for resale, for, for shipping. See, people think business is champagne and, and uh, caviar and uh, boat rides and it's oh, not, listen, is it? If you're not willing to get your hands dirty, if you're not willing to do whatever <laughs> it takes, then you're not, you're not willing to really be successful in my opinion. And um, I will drive out of my way to to provide a good service to a customer, whether it's one tool or 10,000 pieces. And fortunately, I was able to make a better deal with a new factory overseas who now provides me with the tools already in the packages. <laughs> so I am I'm not sitting in my living room table, you know, uh, packaging these up anymore, but, um, I, that's where it started, right? That's the way it starts. And, and I spend a tremendous amount of time. I think you've seen my Facebook posts, um, Mm -hmm. out visiting, um, uh, local, um, nurseries and other outdoor stores. Uh, last night I was at a Wellesley, Massachusetts board of health, uh, tip talk, uh, I sponsored it where I provided free kit tools to all the attendees. Um, we did a presentation on, on, you know, prevention and awareness. I was at Bass Pro Shops doing a similar type of presentation to uh, their customers. But I'm always out. Uh, I've done presentations for the Boy Scouts. I've done it for middle school children and 
you know, that's really the goal here is to provide the education. And I always say, listen, you don't have to use my tool, but just use the right, you know, do it the right way. So what's the right, what's, what's the right way to get a tick off? The right way is simply with the pointy tweezer. Um, I mean, I've just made a convenient tool to have, but in the absence of tickies, just use a very fine tip tweezer. Household tweezers don't cut it because they have a flat end on them. And right. it's very important not to squeeze the tick in the wrong place because, again, that sack of germs, that cesspool of fluid inside that tick's body can be squirted right into your system through its its mouth parts. So if uh. you think about it, it's just like a little sack of germs. If you squeeze it, and they have a there's a tube right into your system. It's going to go right into you. So you're um, actually pushing more of if there's bacteria and whatever else in there. It's exactly. you're pushing that into your system. You're right. affecting yourself. Exactly. So it's like a little mini hypodermic needle, right? Exactly. You oh, got brutal. it. And the other thing about the household tweezers is that you risk uh, tearing uh, the tick a little bit more with with the flatter end. Now, in the absence. So what's and what's the issue with that? So if you get the big sack off, what's the problem with leaving a little bit in? Well, I mean, uh, you could cause a secondary infection. Uh, you're not going to increase, contrary to beliefs, you're not going to increase your exposure any further once you remove the abdomen of that tick than you okay. already had. But, right. you know, certainly it's like having a, a dirty splinter in your skin. So you, okay. you know, a lot of people don't want to leave that in, and and it'll work itself out um, eventually uh, on eventually, its own. Eventually, right? Okay. But you know, the idea is to remove it completely and, and effectively. Now, sure. one important thing for me to mention is that in the absence of the right tool, get the tick off anyway. And even if you do what quote unquote is not the correct way to do it. It's better to do it incorrectly and get it off sooner than to leave it in and wait to do it correctly. So, in, in other words, get the tick off as soon as possible. So, if you're out in the woods and you want to wait till the next morning to go to your car to get the, get tickies or your fine tip tweezers, don't, don't do that. Don't do that because that bacteria moves very quickly through your system. So, so even even if you have to use your fingernails or um, a flat tweezer or, or some other way to get it off. Just get it off. So you don't buy the IDSA where it takes 48 hours or 72 or whatever they say in these days for it to get infected? Well, I, I, I do. Um, I use a 24-hour rule just to be on, on the conservative side. But mm-hmm. still, prompt removal is key. And okay. uh, the sooner you can get it off, I mean, there's no need. Once you discover that tick is attached, uh, just do whatever you can to get it off uh, as quickly as possible. Now, what about like burning or smothering or? Yeah, well, much like I mentioned before, when you squeeze the tick, it just shoots those pathogens right into your system. Um, uh-huh. Traumatizing that tick, uh, getting it mad, um, can also result in a in a similar type of spitting. So, don't do that because. You're, you know, you're just going to increase your exposure. Um, the best and safest way to do it is take a fine tip tweezer, put it down as close to the skin surface as possible, 
using the very tips of the tweezer on the, the mouth parts of the tip, squeeze very firmly and lift straight up in a steady motion. That's all you need to do. When the tick is out, just use some alcohol or clean it, clean the bite site with um, soap and water or some, some other germicide, iodine, whatever you have. Just clean it up good. And, and that's the best way. Also, very, very important, save the tick that you just pulled off your body. Um, I use a Ziploc baggie, those little ones, and I'll, uh-huh. I'll, I'll write with a Sharpie, um, you know, uh, whether it was me or one of my kids, you know, who got the tick, what the date is, um, where I think I got it, and how long I think it was in me for. Okay. Then I file that. I actually have a folder with little Ziploc bags taped to it, and I can keep them for whatever, however long I, I feel necessary. Because so you don't I, put them in the freezer or anything? You just Well, if the tick is still alive and you want to kill it quickly, put it in the freezer for a little while, maybe, I don't know, you can put it in there, leave it in there for an hour or so, take it out, and then tape it to your file. You know, It's not going to escape if you zip it closed. Um, okay. And eventually, it'll 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 die in that bag. But uh, if you want to just <laughs> accelerate the process, put it in the freezer for a little while. Well, I was thinking more in terms of uh, keeping preserving what's inside it. So oh no, no the uh, the PCR testing or polymer chain reaction testing. Yes. I think I said yes. that right. I think is, you got it right uh, too. Is very very accurate and. Um, they don't need the entire tick or they don't need, it doesn't matter what condition that tick is really in unless it's okay. complete dust. Um, but that should be fine. And what happens is if you save that tick, uh, and then, you know, I, I hopefully not, but if you do start to exhibit some sort of s- symptoms of illness, okay. you can send that tick out for testing. Because like I mentioned before, there's viruses, parasites, and bacteria. And sometimes these are treated differently, um, uh, you know, from a medical right. point of view. Yep, different antibiotics for sure. And, and obviously well, if it's a the, virus, the an antibiotic around, the, is not going to work. Yep. The, the, the BC around here, which is a parasite, is like yep. malaria. And it's yep. treated with an anti-malarial drug. Malaria, that's right, yep. So you want to make sure that, let's say that tick is negative for Lyme, but positive for Babesia, you know not to mm-hmm. take doxycycline. And that right. is something that you and your doctor really need to decide. I, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't give any medical advice. I can tell you how I've dealt with things and you know how I would do things, but uh, it's always best to contact your physician directly and, and work out the plan between the two of, of you guys. Right. I think that I want to pause there for a second and highlight that because I mean, what you're talking about is tick-borne diseases and Lyme disease is kind of the poster child of those. Correct. And like you said, there's so much that can be carried around by a deer tick, uh, whether it is a parasite, whether it's another bacteria, whether it's a virus. You know, there's even some discussion about uh, prions, whether they're getting carried around and infecting people through mm-hmm. ticks. But, you know, even mold, you know, who knows if there's some mold spores being carried around by these guys as well or if those are just in the environment. But, you know, just because you test positive for Lyme, and maybe even it is a correct negative assessment, doesn't mean that you didn't get infected by something else. That's that correct. you don't have Babesia or Bartonella or Ehrlichiosis or whatever, right? 
And, right, uh, and and even if the tick tests positive, it doesn't mean that you're you're going to be infected with that particular pathogen. Necessarily, um, right. and and so so the, the uh, let me just say this about tick testing: it, it's an individual thing. You know, you might have been bitten by a tick the day before you got the tick off you, and the one you got bitten from the day before had the bacteria, not the one you pulled off. So, it's it's not a conclusive um, science. It, it may be helpful as an early warning risk assessment type of tool. I can tell mm-hmm. you one thing, though, is very valuable from a public health perspective for a surveillance result. And the right. more data that's populated into their uh, files as far as the, the tick testing, I'm ready for the mass, uh, the better we can kind of discern or, or um, accurately uh, tell people what, what areas of the country are experiencing what types of, of, of pathogens that are present in the ticks, not necessarily translating into diseases in people. So it's it's a very tricky thing, um, but it can be helpful, and that's really something for you and your physician to determine uh, along the road there. Okay. Well, Dan, you've been incredibly generous with your time. We've, we've talked way more than half an hour, and <laughs> it's all been incredible. Uh, you're, I thought we talked more about ticks in your tool than we talked about more scientific stuff than I have with some of the scientists. So it's just incredible your base of knowledge. So keep going and educating people. It's it's so necessary. And how can people, if they want to buy your tool, what's the best way to do it right okay. now? Okay, yeah, we forgot can, about can they go into Gander Mountain and get it yet? <laughs> Not yet. We're actually okay. looking for uh, for some access into the bigger retailers right now, but we're in a very significant growth stage. Um, right now, locally, we're in a lot of different stores. We're in over 250 stores locally, but uh, Amazon is probably the number one place. Um, you can also visit my website, which will have access to great resources for more information through the uh, Rhode- University of Rhode Island Tick Encounter Resource Group. They provide me with all my content for educational information on prevention. My website for uh, more information is www dot tickease.com and I have a toll free number if you want to reach out and speak with me is uh, 855 tick ready ha love it 855 tick ready I even remembered yeah. that and tickease t-i-c-k-e-a-s-e dot com correct. correct correct fabulous and you said you're on Facebook and just look up tickies or yeah, Dan, Dan Wolf. Wolf or tickies and you'll be able to find us I think you'll be able to like us on uh, the website as well. And our brand new website is going live within the next seven days. So we, oh, that's fantastic. You can check in and, and see the progress. So yeah. So it's by the time this is uh, up and running, this podcast is out to the new website. will be there. It's the same web address though, right? That's correct. It'll just look prettier. <laughs> yeah. It's much, much better. Well, I, I was on your website. It looks pretty good as it is now. So I can't right, wait well, to see what the new one looks like. Right, yeah, it's going to be a lot more streamlined, a lot um, easier to use, and a lot more efficient as far as the e-commerce part of it goes. Making life easier for you, I hope. Well, for me and my customers. <laughs> Terrific. Terrific. So is there anything you want to say in closing? Anything we haven't covered? Well, I mean, there's just a few uh, tips for prevention 
Um, especially when the kids are out playing outside, I, I recommend that if you have young kids, uh, the second they're done playing before they set foot in the house, and this is going to be kind of logistically tricky, strip them down, throw those clothes in a hot dryer for 20 to 30 minutes, then wash them. Don't wash them first. Uh, while the kids are out of their clothes, check them and check them good and do it daily. Uh, and don't forget to uh, save the ticks. You do remove them. And, um, you know, take a look at tickies. I think you'll find that, uh, like a lot of other people, it's, it's really the right tool to use. Um, and I've designed it to, to be easy and effective. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thanks for sharing your knowledge with us. Okay. And- Let me know if I can be of any help in any other time. I will. Pleasure. All right. All right. Take care. Good night. So, I'm actually really excited to try these out, these tickies, tweezers out over the summer. On yourself? No, um, on our cats, actually, because before we we weren't as good. We haven't been as good with, you know, tick and flea control in the past. Yeah. And every few... Uh, Every few months in the summer, um, I'd be petting my cat, and I'd feel like a little bump on the top of her head. And I would, you know, part through the fur, through all of her fur, because she's a very hairy cat. It's wizard, mostly. And I, there would be a tick, and I think it's a deer tick. Um, but when, even, you know, last year, uh-huh. uh, Gabrielle and I, my twin sister, would tr- try to remove these ticks, because, you know, tick on a person is bad tick on an animal is bad and we would have the hardest time in the world and yeah i don't think we had needle nose pliers but there's the difficulty of keeping the cat still who doesn't want to be there there's the difficulty of having the tweezers insufficient tweezers right and then you know we're trying all the home remedies to try to remove the entire tick and not just part of the tick right so we would try the little bit of vodka because of course there's vodka in the house we try the little bit of vaseline you're telling secrets <laughs> we try a little bit we tried we even tried burning a match on it for a little bit but i have yet to successfully remove all right a tick from our cat. So we'll try tickies. Yeah, so we'll try tickies. And we'll report back and see how that goes. Yeah. Now, the good news is Lyme disease does not infect cats. Yeah. They're, I was very relieved to learn that this Their immune system episode. can't handle that. However, if they jump off the cat yeah. and they get us in the house, it's not such a good thing. So, yeah, yeah let's keep the ticks uh, away from our cats and yeah. away from the house. Yeah. Alrighty, if you need more Lime Ninja in your life, what can you do, Aurora? Visit our website at LimeNinjaRadio.com. There you can find all 42 past episodes. Woohoo! And on the website, you can also sign up for our mailing list. And in doing so, we'll also send you our Lime Ninja Brain Fog Protocol as our thank you. But wait, that's not all. There's more? Yeah. Lime Ninja Radio is also on iTunes, Stitcher, Twitter, and Facebook. Yeah, so have a look. And if you haven't liked us already, please do that. And last and not least, Aurora, Lime Ninja Fact of the Day. I think we need a little intro there. Like a drum roll or Or, something. We'll we'll work on that. Lime Ninja (laughs) Fact of the Day. Yes. Did you know ninjas can pop every kernel in the bag without burning one?
Young Ninja Radio is a purely public broadcast and is not intended to be personalized medical advice for any individual's specific situation. Each individual's medical situation is unique, and Lime Ninja Radio should not be relied upon and/or considered as personalized medical advice. Lime Ninja Radio is not licensed to render medical advice and should be considered simply the public opinion of Lime Ninja Radio and its guests. Recommendations on specific treatment options are not intended to address any listener's particular medical situation. As always, contact your physician before considering any new treatment.